Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 4. And uh, we are so excited to be starting a brand new series this morning. And uh, man, I'm just so thankful uh, to be in the house of the Lord today, uh, to be gathered together with God's people, to worship Him in spirit and in truth, and to be excited for what God has for us in the new year. Uh, And Greg said it, um, with the new year comes excitement, anticipation, uh, new, new changes, new things happening in our lives. Uh, but nothing could happen without the power of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in our lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, that without the resurrection, there is no point. You can make all the resolutions you want. You can make all the positive changes you want and think positive and all those things. But without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's meaningless. You see, because when Jesus rose again, that's when everything changed. That's when our life began. And I'm just so amazed that we get to gather together today to sing songs to a God that was already shared, was not created by human hands. And he is beyond the depth of our understanding. And by the way, that, that passage that talks about, and those verses that talk about the fact that he wasn't created with human hands, also goes on to tell us that he needs nothing from us. He is not dependent upon you and I today. He is not in his heaven, on his throne, saying, I hope they do this, and I hope they do that, because I need that from them. To be sustained, I need this. He needs nothing. He is God, complete and full, and out of his own. But he says to us, I want you to come to me. I don't need you, but I want you in a relationship with me. And so before we even get into the talk today and and walk through some things as we start this new series, I want to make sure you understand that if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, it's not about religion. It's not about doing the checklist. It's not about this or that. It's about the person of Jesus Christ and a view of your own self, of your own mind, made a conscious choice, not an emotional choice, but a conscious choice logical choice that is backed up and and, and surrounded by emotion that says that I've realized that I have sinned before God, that I have done things that are displeasing to a holy God, that I have violated God's laws. I've done things that are not good. I have sinned before God. And in that sin, I I am bound to a consequence, and that consequence is that when I die in my sin, I am separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. I understand that. But I also understand that from the word of God that Jesus Christ came, was crucified on the cross, was buried in a tomb, and praise God, rose again as a payment for my sin so that when I turn from my sin, repenting of my sin and trusting in Jesus Christ, asking him to be Lord and Savior of my life, he will forgive me of my sin. And he will give me and grant unto me eternal life that when I die from this world, I will live with him forever in his heaven. See, that's the gospel. The gospel is not accept Christ to get a better life. That's not the gospel. The gospel is receive Christ so that you may live life. Because the Bible says that without Christ, we are dead. We have no hope 
But in Christ, we have hope and a guarantee of an eternity with him and a love that is unending and a grace that is free and sets us free to live this life to the fullest for his glory and his honor, his praise. And so my challenge to you this morning before we even get into the text is if you don't know Christ, maybe you would spend this time this morning just praying right there where you are. God, would you reveal to me the truth of your word? Would you, would you show your grace to me? God, not in some burning bush, huge, crazy way, but in the stillness of that inner voice, would you speak to my heart today? Would you convict me of sin that I would know that I need you? Would you show me that I can receive your grace and be set free from those sins? Maybe you're here today and you're struggling. I said it a couple weeks ago, maybe it was last week, that with the changing of the calendar, some situations don't change, right? A struggle you had on December 30th or December 26th is still there. Like the struggle didn't go, oh, it's January, I got to quit. I got to back off now because it's a new year and everything's supposed to be good now. We know that's not real life. We know that's not how it happens. But this is a time of year when a lot of people start thinking about changes they want to make in their lives. And so for me, to you today, to let you know that if you're here today and you're struggling in some way, please don't go at it alone. Man, God couldn't have orchestrated the beginning of this service any better. From Cheryl's testimony to the songs that we sang to the things that were shared, we need each other and we need him. And so as you start a new year, decide today, I'm not going to live on an island I'm not going to pretend like everything's good and I got it all figured out. I'm going to enjoy the blessings and I'm going to go through and endure by his grace the struggles. And I'm going to give him all the praise and all the glory in both. But as you're here today and you're thinking about what some changes might be in your life you want to make, we're starting a new series today. And for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about small things, big difference. Small things, big difference. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're wanting to get a handle on your finances. Maybe you feel like your finances are kind of on a whack and, and you're thinking, okay, in 2019, I'm going to get my finances in check. I'm going to get those in control. Maybe you want to work on your marriage. Maybe as a husband or a wife, you're thinking, I want to, I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better parent this year. So I'm going to, I'm going to try different things. I'm going to try to, to be more patient with my children when they wake up for the fifth or sixth time after being in bed for 20 minutes and still need something. That's just a, you know, a hypothetical. I'm not saying it's experience. I'm just saying, throwing that out there. I may have seen one of our nursery workers today when I was after greet time. I went to shut that door, and I saw one of them walking this way with a little cup of coffee. And I said, how many is that? And they said, oh, nursery, and kept going. So I don't know what that means. I don't know how many cups that is. If there's a gauge, like three, four, six, nursery. I don't know if that's a number. But maybe you're trying to be more patient as a parent. Maybe you want to be a better employee or a better employer. As a, as a boss, as a, somebody that manages a facility, you're saying, I want to, I want to listen to my employees better. I want, to, I want to do better in this field or that area. Maybe it's your walk with the Lord. You've just decided, you know what, I need to be more committed this year. I need to be more faithful in this area of my Christian walk. Whatever it is, this time of year is the time of year we start thinking about these things, which is kind of weird, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. When can I change? Anytime, anytime. By his grace in Christ, I can change anytime because he's willing to help me anytime. It's me that has to surrender. Me that has to say, okay, I'll, I'll go along with this now. 
But this time of year is when we think about those things. I mean, you never really hear people the week before Thanksgiving say, man, I really should start that diet. It just doesn't, doesn't happen that way, right? What's that Christmas pie? Um, yeah, I'm going to start my diet today. Okay, that just doesn't work. But this time of year, a lot of people are, are just thinking about new changes or new things in their life. And so we want to kind of talk through those things this morning, give you some words of encouragement. We see these big changes in people's lives, or rather the big results. And we think it means big changes. We think, oh man, look at how they've improved in this area. It's a huge difference to where they were a year ago. They must have made some really big changes in their life. But I truly believe that while there are times we have to make the big change, there's some in here that maybe are battling with an addiction, some kind of a thing that has a hold on you. When you decide, I'm not going to give in to that anymore, that's a big change. And some of us, we need to do that. You need to have that big change, that big moment of ultimatum, I'm done with this thing by God's grace. But for most of us, it's not really the big change that we need to do or make. It's the little thing we need to do that produces the biggest difference. It's the little thing we need to do that produces the biggest difference. It's the small changes that give us the greatest results. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. Hopefully you've found Zechariah by now. Um, I have spoken for a few minutes. If you've not found it by now, just stop wherever you are in about the middle of your Bible, maybe a little past middle, and just pretend, okay? Because the people next to you, they don't know any different, okay? They have no idea. They're like, oh, wow, they were there really fast. You're in like Haggai, but they don't know, you know, it's, it's fine. If you're still not there yet, page 681, okay, it's in my Bible where we're going to be, 681. Some of you just turned a page. I'm kidding. Don't go to page 681 in your Bible. It's probably not going to line up, okay? Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, which again, just as a fun, everybody say Zerubbabel. Okay, don't you just, it just makes you smile inside, doesn't it? Okay. Anytime I ever read that name, I have to make you say it because I just find it hilarious. Okay, saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain before Zerubbabel, that thou shalt become a plain? Some of you, as I just read it, you laughed again in your head. It's okay, it's fine. Um, Shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of, his home, of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet of the hand of Zerubbabel with, these, with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. When you read this passage here, there's a lot going on. I'll give you a little background on this passage. Zechariah prophesied after the Jewish people were held captive in Babylon. And as they returned back to the land, Zechariah was a prophet and a priest and was a contemporary of Haggai. Zechariah ministered during a difficult time in the history of the Jewish people. The purpose of his writing this prophecy was to call the people of God to complete the rebuilding of the temple and to rebuke the people for their apathy. Hmm. 
I don't, I'm amazed how often in the Word of God you'll read a, a passage or a book and you read the story behind, the theme behind, the reason behind the writing. Why did God lay on this person's heart to write these words to this people? And so often in the Word of God, it terrifies me because I know my own heart, but so often it's to call them from apathy. So often it's God blesses, God blesses, they revert, they, they're apathetic, God has to bring a consequence. It's often in the Word of God. And I know my heart, I can tend to drift. And I know that we're saved by grace and we're kept by grace and all those things. I believe that. I know it to be true. But I'm just, I know my heart. And I know how easily we can slip into this apathetic way of thinking and just, well, there's always time for that. There's always time for that. And that's where God's people were. They were kind of just doing their thing, not really thinking about the priorities that God had set forth. I can imagine Zechariah could be discouraged as well during this time of writing. As he begins to write about the rebuilding of the temple, as he's encouraging Zerubbabel to to do this work and to get busy about this work, uh, the people have been restored to the land for about 20 years, and the temple of God lays incomplete. The once grand and marvelous temple that we read about in the Old Old Testament is now a small, unimpressive, incomplete mess. And the people of God have returned from the land and their temple for their God is laying in ruin. And they can be discouraged. Maybe they think this. Maybe they think, why even start? We'll never be able to get it like it was before. Well, it'll never look like it did before. Well, it'll never be as grand as it was before. So you know what? Why even begin? Why even start? We might as well just quit. Before you ever begin, sometimes we can talk ourselves out of this stuff, can't we? When God lays something on your heart that needs to change in your life and you start thinking about how God is going to do this and do this great work and it's going to be awesome and then you start thinking, well, wait, I tried this before. Now, I tried this before and it didn't work. Or I tried this before and I failed miserably. So you know what? Why even try? And we can all find ourselves in that way. And Zechariah might be in the same mindset. Zerubbabel might be in the same mindset. But I believe we can be encouraged And when we feel our lives are incomplete or a mess in some area, not every area, but as I said before, maybe in the area of your relationships or your finances or your walk with the Lord, it's just just a mess. It's just not where you want it to be or where God really desires it to be. We can be encouraged by the passage today, but also by some things from God's word to not worry about the end result, to just start, to just begin. Zechariah 4 and verse 10. Look what he says here as a word of encouragement. For who hath despised the day of small things? Another translation says, do not despise small beginnings because the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Isn't that awesome? Who despises small beginnings? Who would despise a small beginning, a small start, an insignificant beginning, something that seems like it's just not going to work? Zechariah says, don't despise small beginnings. And again, I love what another translation says. I believe it's the New Living Translation that adds to it, because the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Uh, Really, God is a God of small beginnings, isn't he? He's a God of great things, but small beginnings often in the Word of God and in our lives. Great works of God often start small. Think about Genesis chapter 1. From a simple spoken word in the beginning, 
becomes all of creation to a simple small cry of a baby in Bethlehem. God is pleased with small beginnings because it reveals who is doing the great work. We have to get this. We have to understand this. God is pleased with small beginnings because it reveals who is doing the great work. When it's a small beginning and nobody believes and everybody's doubting it, we can just stand back and say, hey, all I'm called to do is start. That's all I'm called to I'm just called to start and surrender. <laughs> and say, God, this is you. God, this is all you. You've got to do this work. I can't. I'm leaning on you. The effort we put in, because by the way, there's effort, right? I've met Christians and I've talked to Christians and you know them too. We've all had these. And by the way, we've all been these Christians, right? I really believe God wants me to do this. And they'll say some huge, big thing. And then you'll say, wow, so what are you doing to pursue that? How are you pursuing that desire that God's in your heart? Well, I'm just waiting. Okay, you're, you're praying about it. Well, I, I don't know where to start. And so they wait. And there's a time to wait, isn't there? But when Isaiah talks about waiting on the Lord, is it an inactive or an active waiting? It's an active waiting. The idea, the, the picture we get from that is a servant who stands off to the side, who is serving his master, and when he knows he's done with whatever he had to do, he's just waiting for the master to go, I'll take that now. But he's actively waiting. He's already doing, he's already moving, but he's waiting for that gesture, that moment where the Lord says, okay, now you can come and do this thing. And so as we're waiting on the Lord, we need to wait. We need to be patient. I'm not saying we just run right out headlong and do whatever we think is best, but there's a time to wait and to pray, but you can be waiting on the Lord and still be actively pursuing what he's called you to. And so maybe you're sitting here like, I think God's called me to the mission field. God wants me to be a missionary to, I don't know, Europe or, or Africa or wherever. Maybe you feel like, I want to go to Italy with the Patels and we're going to do, I want to go do mission with them. That's a huge thing. That's a big difference, right? I mean, just imagine for a moment. I want everyone to do this. Imagine God called you to the mission field, what that would entail for your life. Now, some of you are single, so it's a lot less. I have to kind of get, you know, change my job, and i got to raise some support, and then I'm gone because I have no, I'm not married or I don't have any children, so I'm good. Some of you have family, and you're thinking, well, we got to wait till they're out of school, and then we got to figure out we're doing a homeschool over there. We're going to do a mission boarding school. we got to sell our house. we got to do all this. I mean, just think about, just for a moment, just stop what you're thinking about and think about if I was called to the mission field, what big changes would that make in my life, in my career? The first time you had to tell your in-laws or your parents, hey, we're, we're going to another country and we may not be back for four to five years. And when we come back, it'll only be for like two months. And then we're going again. Imagine you're a parent of someone that has that conversation with you. You're a grandma or grandpa. And your son or daughter who has a new child comes in and says, God has called us to the mission field. And you know you're going to miss the vast majority of that grandchild's life growing up because they're in another country. I mean, just imagine those changes. And think about these big, I could never do that. But God isn't calling us to do all of that at once. See, this is what I, I believe that if we are slowly and steadily pursuing what God has for us, when he calls us to the mission field, great, we're going to the mission field. But here's what I'm going to do to pursue that call right now today. I'm not going to sit on my hands. Some of you would say, well, God has called me to get more involved in my church. Okay, so what are you doing and this is a very practical 
talk this morning. If God has called you to be more committed to the church, what are you doing to fulfill that call? Well, I don't know what he wants me to do in the church. I just know I need to be more involved. Okay, so where do you think you could start? Maybe you start by saying, what's some needs in the church that can be filled? And then you begin to pursue those needs. And then as you're serving in this ministry or that ministry, God is opening doors. And now you realize, okay, I think God wants me to serve in this ministry. It's amazing to me how often God will lace up on our heart and we think, God, I want to do that. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. And we don't start. We just don't start. We just wait and we wait and we wait. Listen, sometimes it's a spiritual answer to say I'm praying about it. But it's never a spiritual answer to say I'm praying about it because you don't want to do it. You know, some of you quiet this morning, okay? Hear me now. You've met Christian. You've been this Christian. I've been this Christian. Hey, you went, oh, I, you know, I got to pray about that. I don't really know if that's something for me. <laughs> What's that? Honey? Oh, we got to go? Okay. And we're gone. And then a couple weeks later, somebody comes up, and here's what we hate, right? You ever have somebody ask you about something like that, and you give them that I'll pray about it, but you really didn't, weren't going to pray about it? I mean, can we be real? It's church, right? I know, but if we can be real. I'll pray about that. You weren't really going to pray about it. You never wanted to do it. You're not going to do it. You have no desire to do it. But you're just going to say, I'll pray about it because that's the Christian way of saying no without saying no, right? (laughs) It's like, you know, when you ask somebody out and you ask a girl out and she doesn't want to be mean. So she says, oh, you're just just more like a friend, you know? You're like a brother. And that would just, it'd be weird, okay? And you're sitting there thinking like, I'm not your brother. Like, what's the problem? I don't understand, okay? Anyway, it's like that, okay? In a weird way, maybe not so much. Maybe that was all the flesh. Sorry, Lord, if that wasn't of you. But anyway, that just came to my mind. But as you think about this, we say that. And then what happens a couple weeks later? You walk in the church, and guess who you see? The person that asked you to pray about it. And what's the first thought you have in your mind? I didn't pray about that. They're going to ask me if I prayed about that. So you avoid them? Man, you go to the restroom like seven times. Right? Greet time, you just disappear. Like you, just va- like you were raptured from the church during that moment. You're gone. But then they corner you by the coffee counter because you got to get your coffee. And they're like, hey, so. And you're running through my, oh, man, what am I going to say? And we can do these things. And it's just so silly. When we, when we understand who is calling us to these things, we're being so much more willing to go with what he's calling us to. And we just have to Start. Just start. Right where you are. I know it seems small. It seems like a small beginning, but you have to start. And maybe you're thinking, I don't even want God to call me to something great. I'm good. I'm content. I'm good. I don't want anything else. I'm happy going to church, doing my thing, giving my tithe, living status quo, just living the life, just just getting by. If you walked into a hospital room and on the screen you saw a line like this, what would that mean? Flatline. What does that mean? If flatlined. Done. Dead. And we live our lives, just, uh, just keep that in line. And when God says, oh, but I want to take, nope, nope, because that's going to mean I don't want to change. I don't want to do anything different. You can live this way, but it's not really living for the Lord. God didn't call us to be safe and comfortable and convenient in the Christian life. That's not in this book. We said it a few months ago. We we need to stop praying those safe prayers and pray some dangerous prayers this year. We need to pray, God, break me. God, search me. God, send me. 
As we pray those prayers, I believe God will do a great work in and through our lives. But it's got to start with a small beginning. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look into God's word and discover when we can make, by his grace, small changes, small choices that will result in big differences for us by his glory and for his glory. We are going to discuss small adjustments that we can make differences, that make big differences in our thoughts, our words, and our habits. There's kind of a key thought for the series, a key statement that we're going to kind of revisit every week. The key thought for the series is simply this. It's often the small things that no one sees that result in the big things that everyone wants. I'm going to read that again. If you're taking notes, write it down. If you're not taking notes, pull out a piece of paper, write it down. It's often the small things that no one sees that result in the big things that everyone wants. And we've all been there. We've all been there. Maybe it's an area, again, fitness or finance. You see someone who is in shape or has their budget completely running smoothly. I envy you if that's you. If you've got your budget just running without a hitch, man, I envy you. If you've got all your stuff in a a row, everything's just clicking, everything's good. You see those people and you think, man, I could never do that. I could never be where they are. What's their secret? How are they doing that? You ever see a marriage? Uh, when, When Sandra and I were first married, there was a couple of marriages that were really around us a lot, a couple of relationships we had, and it was so cool to see how God spoke through those marriages into our lives. And I remember there was a few times where I thought, man, I, I don't know if I would ever have a marriage like them. And they have just got it. They just got it good. Communication's there. They get along all the time. Everything's great. Man, they just, they just, they're like one. I don't know about you, but I've seen marriages like that. And I think, man, I can never, and not because Sandra has any issues. It would be more me. Understand what I'm saying now, okay? She's got it all figured out. I'm just like, can I just follow you along, Okay. But I see these marriages and you think, man, now that's what a marriage should look like. Now that's how you handle your finances. Now that's somebody that's in shape. Man, I could never be where they are. What's their secret? How'd they get there? How'd they do that? We all want these big changes. We all want these big results. But we're not always willing to do the small things that make the big difference. This is true spiritually as well in our lives. We tend to think we could never read the Bible in a year or pray as much as we should. We could never pray like so-and-so prays. I could never do what so-and-so does. I could never know the Bible like so-and-so does. I could never live for Christ as so-and-so does. The truth is we are thinking the wrong thing. We need to start right where we are today. Start small. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Man, when you play the compare game, you lose every single time. Because you take all of what you know about yourself and what little you know about somebody else and you compare the two and you always come out losing. Whenever you think they've got it off, you don't live with that marriage. You don't know the finances. And you know what? Even if they do have the great marriage that you think they do, here's the key. You have no idea what the work was they put in and the effort and the small things and the bumps in the road and the way they push through. And it wasn't even them doing it. It was God doing it through them. The truth is we cannot compare ourselves. We have to start right where we are, start small, and just start. 
Start with the basics. Start right where you are. I want to share a quote with you from John Wooden. Now, when I say that name, any sports fans instantly know who he is. He was a college basketball coach at UCLA. Uh, Hear this now. This is crazy. If you're not into sports, you're like, oh, sports quote over my head. Listen to this accomplishment and then listen to what he said. John Wooden, as the head coach of UCLA, won 10 NCAA national championships in a 12-year period. 12 years, 10 championships as the head coach at UCLA, including a record seven in a row. Seven in a row. No other team has won more than four in a row in Division I college men's or women's basketball. He is quoted as saying this. So this great coach, this great basketball coach, this genius in basketball, listen to what he was quoted as saying in regards to how he coached. He says, it's the little things that are vital. Little things make big things happen. I've heard it said, and it's, it's in a book about him and how he was a great coach. His first basketball practice, and some of you may know this, you think basketball practice, they're going to go out, they're going to run drills, they're going to do this, they're going to figure all these plays and these schemes and all this. Very first basketball practice, he'd get all the guys in the locker room and sit them down and go article through article about how to put a uniform on, including the socks. So he would say, this is an athletic sock. Here's how you put it on. You might think that's the most ridiculous thing. These guys are playing college basketball. They've worn basketball socks once before. But you know what he said? He said, most people don't think about the little things, and when you don't put that sock on right and you play basketball, guess what happens? You get blisters. Your feet get sore. You can't play as hard. You can't play as well. You can't have the same grit and grind. But when you put it on right and you do the little things right, then that's when the big things happen. That's huge. It's the little things that are vital. Little things make big things happen. I heard somebody say that over the course of 17 years, they read through the Bible 17 times. 17 years read through the Bible once a year, 17 times. That's a lot. Let me ask you a question. What do you think that person's character was like at the end of that 17 years? What do you think their thought life was like at the end of 17 years of reading through the Bible every year, once a year? Not because they had to check a box or not because they had to try to impress somebody else, but because they just loved this God enough to say, I need to know what you want for me. I want to think like you want me to think. I want to act like I want to act. I want to be the mom, the dad, the husband, the whatever. I want to be that person, and I know I need this book to do that. So I'm going to just keep reading and keep reading and keep reading. Imagine what that person's life was like at the end of 17 years. When I heard that story, when I heard a pastor talk about this guy that he knew that read through the Bible 17 times in 17 years, you know, my first thought was, I could never do that. I've read through the Bible, I've gone to college, I've studied the Bible, theology, the whole nine. But I can't tell you that I've consistently, for 17 years, read through the Bible fully through once a year for 17 years. I can't tell you I've done that for 10 years, even five years. When you hear those things, you think, I could never do that. But you know what? When this guy was asked, how did you do that? How could you possibly do something like that? You know what he said? He said, it all started with a 15-minute discipline. Here's what he said. He said, I committed 
for 15 minutes a day to read the Word of God. Got on a Bible reading plan and for 15 minutes a day just read for 15 minutes every day. And at the end of the first year, he read through the Bible fully in one year and then said, I can do 15 minutes a day. And he did it again for another year and another year. See, think about this, 15 minutes a day. I don't know about you, I can give 15 minutes a day to reading this book. I can give 15 minutes a day to reading the Word of God consistently. And at the end of a first year, guess what I've done? I've read through the Bible in a year. And imagine how your life would be different after one year. How about prayer? How many of us, don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us would raise your hand and say, I don't pray like I should. We just talked yesterday morning in our men's prayer breakfast about faith and living by faith and walking by faith and how we desire God to do great things in our life. And we go to Daniel, right? Like where did Daniel find himself? In a lion's den. And he has such great faith that he was able to stand against these lions. And we think, man, I want that kind of faith. I want, I don't want to be in a lion's den, by the way. But some of you are crazy and you want to get thrown into a lion's den. That was a joke. By the anyway, so moving on. It would be crazy to find ourselves in that situation. But here's the thing. Do you know why Daniel had the faith he had to stand in a lion's den? What did Daniel have a habit of doing three times a day, every day? Praying. See, long before he was in the, the, the lion's den, long before he was held captive, long before he was Daniel as we know him, he just got alone with God three times a day and just spent time with his God. Just spent time in the presence of God. And guess what happened? Imagine if you spent the next year praying, consistently praying. Not, you know, oh, bless this food to our bodies, amen. Because you're praying over the meal. Well, you know why you don't ever really literally pray over the meal? Smelling that, right? You're just like, mmm, hurry up that prayer. Okay, because that's some prime rib in front of me right now. Come on. So what you do is you pray before the food gets there. Because when you pray when the food gets there, it's somebody like, you pick the person who prays the shortest. Right? Like, you don't pick the person who prays for all the missionaries. Mm -mm, you're not praying for lunch. I need somebody who prays the shortest. Who prays the shortest? And we do that because we're like, we want to eat. Not those kind of prayers. Those are, I mean, pray for your food. I'm just saying. I'm talking about real, serious time with God. Three times a day? We think, I could never do three times a day. I just, oh, no, my schedule, you don't even know. Kids and work. And I'm, it's crazy. I could never do it. I could never do that. Okay, so start small. Can you pray for 15 minutes a day? Can you pray? Can you give 15 minutes of your day in just prayer before God? Imagine if you prayed every day 15 minutes, real, serious, consistent prayers. This is where I said it yesterday morning. Some people say, well, I, you know, brother, whenever somebody says brother, you know they're going to give you a line on something, Okay. You know, brother, I pray, as Paul says, without ceasing. I don't have these scheduled prayers. These t I pray just as the Lord leads. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes that means that person really isn't praying hardly at all, but that's the way they get out of it because they pray on the way to work for two minutes. Oh, Lord, blah, 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 boom, done. Don't close your eyes when you're driving to work, by the way. It's okay. You can pray with your eyes open. We say those things. Oh, no, we pray without ceasing. Yes, we pray without ceasing, but also we can pray scheduled prayers too. We can pray consistent times and say, this time, every day from this time to this time is my time I'm going to spend with God. I'm committing to that 15 minutes, not an hour, not 45 minutes, not a day of prayer. 15 minutes. 
Here's the thing. If you give 15 minutes of your day in prayer, imagine the difference that will make January of next year. Like, think about that for a minute. Imagine if you gave 15 minutes to prayer, how your thought life would change. By the way, so far we're up to how many minutes? 30 minutes. 15 in the Word of God, 15 in prayer. 30 minutes a day for the next year. Imagine where you would be with the Lord. See, we think, I want this big change. I I want all these big things in my life, and that's great, and we should have big goals. But it's the small things that make all the difference. It's the simple things that make all the difference. Start small, but start small by His Spirit. Start small, but start small by His Spirit. Zechariah 4, 6, super familiar verse. We start small, but we start small by His Spirit. Then He answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now, what's he talking about here? Can I use this verse in any way I want? No, here's the context. Specifically, God is encouraging Zerubbabel, listen, it looks small. It looks insignificant. It looks like it's never going to happen. But my spirit will give you what you need to accomplish what I'm calling you to do. It's not by your might, not by your power. It's by my spirit that I'm going to accomplish this great work. And what was the great work that he was supposed to be doing? Rebuilding God's temple to glorify God, to honor God, that nations would come and worship God. And he's saying, no, I'm going to do this thing because it's for my glory and for my praise. So it's not by your power, because remember, I don't really need you. That sounds harsh, but it's the truth. God doesn't need me to do what God's going to do. God wants me to be involved so I can grow in him and be blessed by his grace in it and be blessed through the process. But if I say no to God, somebody else will say yes, and then God will use them. I want to be involved in what God is doing. I want to see God's hand move in our church. I want to see God's hand move in your lives. And it's not going to start huge. It's probably going to start small. It's going to start insignificant to some people's minds, but it's starting, and God rejoices to see the work begin. He gives us his spirit so that we can have the power and the strength to do what he's calling us to do. You might be sitting here thinking it's a small thing God is leading me to change, but that small thing seems huge right now. It's a small thing, but it seems huge. I'm telling you, by his power, you can do it. That is why it is so vital we realize it's by his power and by his spirit for his glory. It is not in our effort or our ability, but in our surrender and our commitment to him. God started with that word of encouragement to Zechariah, reminding him that it was the power of God's spirit that was going to do the work. Do you notice that in the passage? Before he tells them, you're going to do this great work, he says, I want you to know something. It's not by your hand you're doing this. It's by my spirit you're doing this. Now let me tell you what I'm going to do through you. We think, God, I can never do this. He's saying, no, you can by my spirit. Look at Zechariah chapter 4, verse 9. I love this. He tells them in verse 6, it's by my spirit. Look at verse 9. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands, what does it say? Shall also finish it. His hands will also finish it. I love that God tells him before the work even really gets going that it's going to be completed. 
God sees the finished product before we even start. Praise God for that, amen? When he's calling you to that small beginning and you're thinking, I cannot do this thing, he is saying, no, no, I've given you my spirit, I've given you my word, I've given you the local church, you're going to complete this thing because it's me doing it through you and I've never not completed what I've started. I'm going to do this. And I love that he encourages him with this. He says, listen, it's going, when you start and then when you finish, and then what's the key in that? Why does he want to make sure it finishes? Look what he says in verse 9. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you to confirm the prophecy of Zechariah. God is saying the minute that last stone is laid into place, you're going to know, man, everything Zechariah said was true and everything that he told me was true of God for God's glory and God's praise. And I know it seems small, but here's the truth. you got to put one stone down before you can put the next stone down. We look at, you can never build this great temple. Just start with what? One stone and then another stone. I could never really know the Bible like so-and-so. 15 minutes. I don't pray like so. 15 minutes. We create a discipline, a small thing, and then we see the big result the big difference. God started with a word of encouragement and finishes with a word of encouragement. So I want to encourage you to start this morning, but to start with just one thing. Whenever we hear messages like this, I don't know about you, but my mind floods with all the things I want to change. Because if we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot we could change. Amen? I mean, come on. What did Paul say at the end of his life? I've not arrived. He said, I'm not there yet. So if he says that, then I can't hardly say that I've arrived. I know there's things that God is working on me about. I know there's things in my attitude, my demeanor towards people. Listen, I can be, just being honest and transparent, I can be one of the most judgmental people you'll ever meet. You might think, oh, I've never felt judged by you. Good, God is gracious. He is helping me with this. But you can ask my wife, early on when we were married or even just in ministry, I have a very hard time with letting first impressions go. I don't know if anybody else is like this. The first impression somebody has with me, talking, God has grown me through this. So don't, if you're worried about the first impression you just made, you're fine, okay? I'm just being transparent. So often, when I meet somebody for the first time, that sticks with me. What they say, how they handle themselves, how they carry themselves, their demeanor. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, we're watching my son's first sixth grade basketball game. Sixth grade basketball I don't know what the defensive strategy is in sixth grade basketball, but I think it's called the swarm and grab. That's what I think it is. Because the minute a kid would get to the paint, the whole rest of the other team would just, and then just grab the ball and hold for the possession arrow. Just grab on and hold on for the ride, okay? But as we're watching this game go on, there was a kid there, a good kid. I mean, he's a great basketball player. But he had, you know, the high socks with all the colors and the arm sleeve, Probably has no idea why you even wear arm sleeves, but he's got a cool one on. You know, puts up every shot, takes every shot. Just after he makes a three, he does this whole thing, you know, running down the court. Just that kind of a kid. And I leaned over to Sandra, and I said, hmm. He was doing one of these things when he was running backwards, and he almost tripped. <laughs> I leaned over to Sandra, I said, I, I kind of wish he would have fell. I mean, I kind of... <laughs> And then instantly the Holy Spirit was like, and you're a pastor? Like, what, what did I do there? <laughs> but you know what's funny is, after the game was over, he was the one giving the fives. 
He was the one high-fiving the teammates. He was the one hanging around them, encouraging them. You know, come to find out, Coach, more likely, probably, I'm just guessing, he said, hey, you're the best shooter we've got. Shoot the ball. <laughs> okay. Just, I mean, he was a good kid. But I'm telling you, just in my flesh, as a weakness, it's always been there. And I'm so thankful God has helped me to get through some of that. Obviously, yesterday was a little weak moment, but, you know, it happens. But we all have things we're working on. And we think, I could never accomplish, i got to change this, and i got to change, I can't do this anymore, I don't want to do that anymore, i got to do this. No, no, no. Pick one thing. Choose one thing that God is leading you to change about yourself, about your thinking, about your habits. We're going to break it down over the next couple weeks. Our words, our thoughts, and our habits, we're going to break those down. But pick one thing this morning. There is great power in focus. I want you to understand this now. There's great power in focus. And I'm not talking about new age, you know, positive thinking, all this stuff. I'm not all for that new age stuff. I'm talking about what does the word of God lead us to believe. The Bible, or in the Bible rather, we read the phrase one thing often. One thing is often in Scripture in connection with God's people. Let me give you just two examples. David said, One thing I desire to dwell forever in the house of the Lord. One thing I desire. The Apostle Paul says later in the New Testament, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is before, pressing towards the mark, he says. One thing. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, how can I get to heaven? And Jesus says, follow the law. And he says, I've done that since my youth. What does Jesus say? One thing you lack. One thing. Now, was it really one thing he lacked? He probably had a litany of things that were wrong with him and his character, his moral uh, nature, his moral way of thinking, all those things. But Jesus was saying, I want to one thing I'm going to talk about today. One thing. I'm going to go to the heart of the problem. One thing. And so my encouragement to you today is, what is the one thing that God is leading you in? What is the one thing that you can focus in on and say, this is what God is leading me to accomplish or to to do for him? Maybe it's summed up even in one word. Maybe you would say, God, this is where you're leading me, this one thing, this one word. Maybe the word faith, the word strength. God wants you to be stronger in him this year. Maybe the word purity. God, give me a purity this year that I would focus on that one thing. Commitment. What is the one thing that God is leading you to focus on in 2019? Maybe it's participation. Participation. It happens in the local church. So many people in the local church, they join it, they attend it. They're positional attenders or positional members of a church, but they're not participating members of a church. This is common in church. People would be positional members. Yeah, I go to North Goodland. I joined North Goodland. I'm a member at North Goodland. I'm a positional member of North Goodland, but I'm not really a participating member of North Goodland. Maybe that's where God is calling your focus to this morning. I would encourage you to spend time with God in prayer, to ask him to open your mind and heart to the word that he has for you, to the focus, to the one thing. And then to get into his word and see what scripture says about that one thing. If God is calling you to greater faith, get into his word. What does God's word say about faith? Don't go reading every other book off the shelf before you go to this one. God, you want me to be stronger in you? What does that look like? God, you want me to get fit? You want me to get thinking right and mentally fit and emotionally fit? What does your word say about these things? We think we need all these other resources. They're great, good, and they're helps. But we got to start here. This gives us our foundation to how we're going to have a lasting change in our lives. In conclusion, I want to kind of wrap this up. 
I don't know, we've talked about a lot of things, but I want to encourage you, honestly, I'm going to invite you to come forward in just a few moments. We're going to have our invitation. I genuinely want you to think, Lord, what is the one thing? Now, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I can't think of one thing I need to change. The laughter starts across the crowd. I can't think of one thing that I need to do differently. (laughs) Then maybe you need to pray and say, God, would you open my heart and mind to what you have for me? What is that? Is there something I need to surrender? Is there some way I need to make a difference in my life? And not, don't go with 50 things, go with one thing. God, what is that one thing? And then as he's giving you victory in that or, or you're finding joy in those things and you're growing in that, then maybe God will give you another thing. But right now it's one thing. What is that one thing? The truth is God desires big things for us. But I want to be careful here. And this is kind of just a little final thought, I guess, on this idea of small things, big differences. Because God defines big differences and even success differently than we do. He doesn't define big things as we do. In our culture today, we define the big things or big results through the world's eyes. If you want to get your finances in order, you think a big result is more finances, more money, more possessions. That's not necessarily God's big difference. Maybe God's big difference is now you can be more generous with what you have. Maybe that's the big change God wants to create in your finances. In your marriage, maybe you think, I don't know what the big difference is, but it's gonna, we're going to look like this and have this image. Maybe the big difference is more intimacy spiritually with your spouse. And it's not even an outward change at the beginning. Whatever it is, God may define big results in your life in a healthy and Christ-like marriage instead of just a seemingly surface happy marriage. Maybe it's children who have everything, don't have all this stuff, but it's children who have grown up in a home that have learned to love God more than anything or anyone else. Maybe the big difference in your children's life is not so much that they are successful in the world's eyes in this field or that field. Maybe it's that they just genuinely love the Lord because you've modeled it before them consistently. One of the greatest hindrances to a child's growth in Christ is when we as parents don't do all that we can to encourage them in Christ. Here's the truth. If you're more concerned with your son or daughter's academic ability, athletic ability, musical ability, any of that, more than you are with their spiritual well-being, then you are falling short as a parent. I am falling short as a parent because first and foremost, it's helping them to see Christ be number one. Help them with their golf swing. Help them with that instrument. Help them with whatever. That's fine. But first and foremost, it's got to be, am I growing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Am I doing all I can? See, that's a small thing I start now that has a huge difference for my child down the road. You see what I'm saying? Small things, big difference. What's that one thing? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning with me as we have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your love and your mercy. We ask, Lord, that you'd be glorified in all that is said and done today. We'd ask that everything that has been talked about of you is true to who you are. We ask that you would be glorified alone above all things. Lord, as we spend this time in an invitation, if you will, a time of just reflection, I pray that your church would respond to you, not to me, not to those around them, not for an image, 
but they would respond to your moving and your guiding and your leading this morning, that maybe they're in their seats or maybe here at the altar, they would respond by crying out to you, calling out to you and asking for wisdom and guidance in that one thing. What is that one thing that they need to focus on this year? Maybe for some, it's the word rest would be one that would speak into their lives. Not rest as far as so much inactivity, although it is needed to take time of rest and and to just allow ourselves to have relaxation, to allow our bodies to rest and to recoup from the work we're doing. But maybe it's more effective working to produce more rest time. Maybe for some, it's not a rest physically they need. It's a spiritual rest. It's an emotional rest. It's just this ability to say, you know what? I'm worried. I'm stressed about these things. I can't control them, so I'm going to surrender them to the Lord. I'm just going to rest in your peace and rest in your grace. I'll do what I can do, but I'll give to you what only you can do, Lord. Father, whatever you're speaking to your people, I pray that you would just remind them of your word, that this would not be a New Year's resolution, that this wouldn't be something we just do as a gimmick or as a a thing because it's New Year. It's deeper than that. It's something that we're resolving to, yes, but by your grace, by your spirit, and it's backed by the word of God. And so I pray, Lord, that whatever that one thing is, that we would get into your word and we would desire to know, what does your word say about this? What does your word tell us about these things? Lord, again, may you speak, lead, guide, and direct. And for anyone here that doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, I pray that they would know your love for them. I pray they would know they can be forgiven of their sins, spend eternity with you. If they would repent of their sins and trust in Christ, surrendering their life to you, the joy and the peace they could have. Father, we thank you for all of this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As the praise man leads us in a song of invitation, I want to ask, would you respond this morning? Uh, Would you say, Lord, this is the one thing you're leading me in, and I'm committing it to you by your grace and by the power of your spirit and the backing of your word. This is the one thing. So don't look around. Don't wait. Don't worry about anyone else. You respond. You want to come and pray? Come and pray for that one thing. Lord, give me focus on this as we respond to him in worship. Would you respond?